the importance of parents being looking into themselves you know before they can help their kids they really need to know how they are feeling within themselves welcome to social fabric in this program we'll bring you conversations with people discussing their passion and the interaction with their community we explore our different jobs careers or achievements can inspire us to make small changes to improve our lives within our own community. You can find more episodes on socialfabric.ie or wherever you get your podcast. The program is also broadcast weekly on Dublin's Near FM 90.3. My guest this week is Mali Coyne. Mali is a clinical psychologist specializing in children and young adults. She's also a broadcaster and she's a regular contributor to TV and radio stations. She's worked extensively with A Loss for Life and she's recently written a book that will be published early in the new year. This is my conversation with her. Can I call you up oh Alice on a Friday? We could reminisce on old days and we could talk of life. Yeah. Very simple. Yeah, because I did my own radio show a few years That's ago right, with Dublin yeah. City FM. So I did. I used to get them to do one song in okay. between. But it was a great kind of springboard for conversation. You know, yeah, yeah. it was great. Yeah, and I read a lot about you. You've done a lot, so there's tons of stuff I would like to talk to you about. Cool. I'll try to keep it not too... Try to keep it within a certain um, thread yeah. and then we'll see what a conversation goes. Yeah, no How do you pronounce your first name? Mali. Mali. Okay, yeah. I wasn't sure. Yeah, it's really Marie Claire, so I was born in France. Ah. So it, my brother couldn't pronounce Marie, so it came out as Mali and it kind of stuck then. Well, I suppose we start. Mali. Yeah. Mali Coyne, thanks a million for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, you're writing a book at the moment, are you finishing a book? Is it something you can talk about? Yeah, I can. So will you tell me a bit about that book? I want to start it from yeah. the end and then yeah, work backwards. Yeah, no um, so I've always had a dream to write a book and I started writing articles a few weeks, a few weeks, a few mo- a few years ago, um, especially for A Lust for Life. That's where I kind of really began, um, you know, the A Lust for Life charity. I really began writing quite a bit for them. And I always had it in my mind that I wanted to write a book. Um, so I helped a few other people on their books and then um, Brezzy and I and Susan Quirk who was the previous editor of A Lust for Life we wrote The Little Book of Sound which That's is so a it, tiny yeah. little but it's it's a really cute it's kind cute, of and yeah. it's a lovely it has a great message so that kind of got me a bit further and then then um, I suppose Brezzy put me in touch with his uh, his book agent and next thing I was writing a book proposal which took a few months to do and then it was around this time last year that I got a book deal with HarperCollins Ireland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, but I had, I had a really good kind of um, set idea of what I wanted to do, but I didn't have the title yet. But I knew that I was really inspired by um, Compassion Focus Therapy, which is all about, um, I suppose, the importance of parents being, looking into themselves you know, before they can help their kids, they really need to know how they are feeling within themselves. And I think there's sometimes no point in actually giving techniques if, you know, you don't... I mean, I work as a clinical psychologist with uh, children and teens and their parents, and I find that I usually... I would always meet the parents and talk to them about how they are coping themselves and how they respond to their kids and what's going on for them and uh, maybe, you know childhood wounds that might be coming up for them as they deal with their own kids 
Um, so I decided that I wanted to write a compassionate approach to helping a child with anxiety. And then after a few months, um, I suppose the, 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 the idea really behind it is that I use this, um, this acronym called SAFE and it's basically how parents can respond to their kids during an anxious moment and with their anxiety and the first step of that would be self-care and parents um, you know, looking, at, looking in to themselves. And then A would be for anchoring, which is really trying to keep the child when they're in that really anxious moment, how to bring them back to safety because they feel very unsafe. In fact, I was a child with anxiety and I know what that felt like. And if somebody tells you when you're anxious, oh, there's nothing to be worried about, it's not going to help. Whereas if you go, you know, if you kind of help your child to calm in that moment and you really connect with them, um, using that kind of anchoring approach, I love, I mean, I have an anchor on here today, my bracelet, and I love the idea of an anchor because I think parents play that role for the kids. So that, that whole idea of, you know, you can be, you can still be far away from your child, but that anchor and that, that chain will still remain, that rope no matter what, whether you're with each other, not with each other, if your child's in Australia, it doesn't matter that it's about keeping your child in mind and of the importance of that. Um, and then the next, the F for safe is about helping your child to feel felt, which is this idea from Dan Siegel in his book, The Whole Brain Child, which talks about um, in order to connect with your child, if they're expressing a, a feeling, they express their feelings through their right brain, which is how we express emotion. They're, you can't, they can't compute a left brain answer from their parent. The left brain answer would be, there's nothing to worry about, you'd be fine. The right brain answer would be, you're really struggling right now, that's really hard, tell me more about that, let's unpackage that a little bit. So you're saying you're worried about the party on, on Saturday what part of the party are you most worried about? Kind of unpackaging, remaining nice and calm. And then the E is for empowerment, which is, you know, you can use all the strategies in the world, but unless you anchor your child in the moment and help them to feel felt and look into yourself at how you react to your child's anxiety, um, it'll be very difficult to help them. So, um, and I think the self-care part is the most important part there because I haven't, I haven't really seen books out there that actually looked at that. And I, I kind of follow the way the brain computes information, which is from, you know, the mo like kids, it's like trauma research would talk about the downstairs brain. And we need to start with the downstairs brain, which is kind of the, the most primitive part of the brain to anchor a child before you can then move on to the upstairs brain, which is where they can actually think of how they're going to manage it. Right. Yeah. And when is the book coming out? It's not out till next April okay. to 2020. And the reason being it was meant to be out next month. Um, and I haven't spoken about it to anybody until now. Um, but it's meant to be out this, but I hadn't finished it because okay. it was too hard to write a book in six months. I couldn't do it. That's all. My next yeah. question, because yeah. I'm, I'm always fascinated about I think we all love to write a book. Yeah. Well, I definitely will eventually one day. You will, if you say you're going to do it, do yeah, it. I will. You and, will uh, do it. I will. Yeah. And, uh, but I'm always curious about, because obviously you have a fairly busy life, and just gives a little idea of the process. You, know, yeah. you say six months, but uh, I mean, you have a full-time job. You yeah. have loads of stuff you're going on. 
what did you decide okay I'm gonna sit down every morning at six o'clock or, or you just went? I have no idea <laughs> I do a lot of work writing at night okay. so I get this like second wind at around 10 like because literally like when I get home from work and I was working full-time um, but when I get home from work I'm with the kids they're five and seven they're really still quite needy um, until eight o'clock and then I'm having dinner and then it's only around half nine ten o'clock where I could actually sit and write for maybe an hour an hour and a half um, but then I started taking like I took a month off I think in September I took a month a few weeks off in January and then I've started taking like a day or two off per week to write um, so I have three chapters left to write I'm way late with it but I'm really happy with what I'm writing and um, like I, I think it's going to really help people and like it's just it's a lovely process but you don't go to your computer every day and feel inspired at all no. you know some days you kind of look back at the stuff you've written and think that's a pile of crap <laughs> um, but mostly I'm, I'm really happy and then I'm using a lot of the you know I'm, I'm making people anonymous like the people that I work with every day I'm working with people every day uh, who are anxious and that so I'm kind of using that to inform me obviously without using their personal details so it's really live you know it's, it's, it's very live for me okay. yeah you gave me a few songs a nice collection of different things yeah um, and the very first one is What About Us and mm. uh, like Pink mm. Yeah, I just really like the tune. I think it's a there's there's something I re, like. I, I I'm not really a Pink fan, um, but when I heard that song, I just thought like it's a really their lyrics with a huge amount of meaning. You know, I think it's 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 a song to God. Like, why is there misery in the world? Why do hearts get broken? If you exist, God, why? Um, and I just love that. I love the idea. And it's such a beautiful tune. And my daughters and I would like, we'd turn on Alexa in our sitting room and we would dance to it. So it's just a beautiful tune. We are searchlights we can see in the dark. We are Pointed up at the stars We are billions of beautiful hearts I'm, I'm curious about the process of you know, your clinical psychology You've done a, a master in psychiatry You've done a doctorate in clinical You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of study there When did you decide it was, that was the path you were going to follow? Because it's... it's, mm. it's it's a difficult one. Well, both from a study point of view and from the actual job, I'm sure yeah. it's not the easiest job to do. Why, when did you say that was it? Um, probably when I was about 16 or 15, 16. Wow. I think I always played, a, um, like there's a great book out there called Alice Miller, The Drama of Being a Child. And basically what it talks about is that uh, many people who go into the caregiver profession don't end up there by accident. They end up there because they play certain roles in their family. And um, I definitely played the role of, I was the youngest out of my um, older brother and sister. And we moved around to many different countries. My father was a diplomat. Um, and I suppose we only had the five of us. We didn't have external, we didn't have like, you know, 
we didn't have extended family around us when we lived in all these different countries and um, I suppose we really had to rely on each other so I did play the role of caregiver or care you know say when my if my parents were you know if there was different issues going on in the family uh, my parents have since split up but are, are great friends now which is great but um, so then I suppose I, I played that role of just wanting to make sure other people were okay it was just what I did and then I, when I was living in Korea then from the age of 15 to 18, they had, you could choose to do psychology in this American school that I was in doing the, I was doing the international baccalaureate. So I decided to do psychology as one of my, um, as one of my uh, subjects for the, for the international baccalaureate. So I did that and I absolutely loved it. And I was a peer counselor, which meant that I was helping other kids in the school if they had issues and then and then I decided that's what I want to do so I went and did psychology in Trinity which was very difficult to get into but I, I, I got in um, and just from there from doing the four years there I knew that clinical psychology was what I wanted to do I knew it was the hardest path, path to take probably in psychology because it's very hard to get into the course but I knew that it was the kind of I wanted to do like clinical psychology is all about working with different client groups, but using scientific methods to work with them. Okay. Um, and you're working with, you know, real com complex type of cases. I mean, I could have become a, a counseling or a psychotherapist or a counseling psychologist, uh, either or really, I really like, I really like what I do. And I, I, I've pretty much, I mean, I've done placements while I was doing my clinical training. Uh, I did that uh, back about 10 years ago or uh, from 2003 to 2006 in Galway. Um, whilst I was doing it, I worked with other client groups, but children was always what I went back to because I just feel, I just really feel I can help kids and I can help parents. And you can see in my room here that I have sand behind you, dollhouse toys. It's just what I, it's just what I do is, is you know, I get down on the floor and that's why my my floor is so dirty because I make slime and that's how I get kids to you know express their feelings and I talk to parents about I, I try in my work to really be very um, human so I felt like a bit of a fraud before I had my own kids because here I was like giving suggestions and parents would sometimes say well do you have any kids and I'd have to say no I don't <laughs> and now I realize since I've had my kids how hard parenting is so I find that a bit of self-disclosure can be really um, helpful to them and I will regularly say look I, I find it really hard as well and you only need to get it right 30% of the time it's all about good enough it doesn't have to be perfect and mm -hmm. Uh, look at me. I mean, Mike, you know, if you heard my, outside my house, you'd think, oh, my God, what's all that shouting? And, you know, m you know, like nobody's perfect and it's OK. And I think to work with somebody on a heart level, I think every person that leaves my room usually leaves with a bit more hope. I, I want to ask you a little bit more about the children because that's yeah. very interesting. But just uh, one quick question about the, the path in, in from study to working in the, in the HAC and all of that. Yeah. When you got into the system, into the the working, was it what you expected, or was it a lot of work from your point to go? Oh, I, I came in with, yeah. with a view of changing something, yeah. and now I'm stuck in something. Here. It, well, yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't mean. No, you know I know. What I'm I know. Saying? I know. 
um, yeah, I suppose that's why I've gotten into the more media stuff in the last few years mm-hmm. because I felt like like I have I have you know sixty people waiting to see me. Some of them waiting more th- more than three years, which sounds crazy, but that's because I'm pressured to see newer kids very often. So like literally the whole east side of Galway is my patch. So it is it, it's um. I, lo- I, I think with individual people that come in, you can really feel inspired by your work and try to help. But knowing that I have to manage this huge waiting list and get back to people on the phone and, um, you know, like thinking about all those kids that I haven't seen, it does really wear on me. And a few years ago, actually, I went on stress leave for, it was only for three weeks, but I just felt like I can't, I can't take this anymore. I just... Because I'm man- I, at the time I didn't have a secretary either, so I was literally managing everything myself and writing all the letters and replying to all the phone calls and mm. and then being the person who saw these kids. So um, it, I, I came back from that actually a lot more, a lot better because I just thought like it's not my fault and I can't, I can only do the best that I can do with the person in front of me. So I'll, you know. So, I mean, that took the weight off me, but it was around the same time that I started kind of finding out a little bit about, you know, can I write articles? Maybe I can do a bit of radio work. It was around then soon enough that I actually got my own radio show in Dublin City FM. And I just thought like, if I can broadcast, I mean, just like what what we were saying to each other before this started, but if I can just even help one person or a few people, you know, outside of the four walls of my room then then that's worth it you know so that's why i went doing that path Thanks. yeah you have this beautiful tune lamb by Greki. yeah do you know it i do yeah yeah it's fabulous yeah yeah why did you pick oh that my one? god i was just i was actually only i only just printed off the uh the lyrics but i just <clears throat> i have them here but it's just you know if I should die this very moment, I wouldn't fear, for I've never known completeness like being here, wrapped in the warmth of you, loving every breath of you, still my heart this moment, or it might burst. I mean, it's just, it's so gorgeous, and it's, I have um, my, one of my best bestest friends is French, and she lives in Spain, and all those years ago we met in Korea, and this was just one of the songs that we used to listen to when, you know, and, you know, it would be like our, kind of teenage torment song <laughs> and it's it's gorgeous wrapped in the warmth of you loving every breath of you still my heart this moment Just to stay with mental health today and the children's mental it's, it's 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 really it's a really hard thing to get my to get a head around why um why there's so much out there at the moment. Or is there so much out there at the moment? Mm. Um children's and teenagers. You'd specialise in children to a certain age or across the adolescents? Up until they're eighteen, yeah. Have you seen an increase? Or? I think, yeah, I mean, definitely there's been an, uh, it's hard to know because I've always been busy, but I think the pro- the types of problems have yeah. changed. So like anxiety seems to be like a referral 
a problem that I that that would come in regularly. Whereas a few years ago, you you might have seen it in a slightly different way. But I think you know, in in my book, I describe this kind of seesaw, which is where anxiety is kind of defined as, um, you know, where like you overestimate threat. So you have an overestimate of threat and you underestimate your ability to cope with the threat. And I think the way society is nowadays, I talk about it like a perfect storm, which is we are we are very threatened nowadays in terms of, you know, the this kind of this. We were talking just earlier about that whole kind of Kim Kardashian, a whole kind of social media and extrinsic values all about how you look you know, what you're doing online, um, how good you are at this, having to be the best. Um, And I think that just puts an awful lot of pressure on parents who think they need to have their kids enrolled in every single activity, otherwise they're not good enough or they're not giving them the best. Um, Whereas good enough is enough. And I think kids are thinking that they have to be the best. And there's a lot of pressure, I think, on kids in school say to oh you know if you don't study now you won't get into the course you wanted to get into and then your life is over and I, I just think that's not true in fact I know many people in their 40s who change career 50s 60s you know like who who fulfill a dream they've always wanted to do where there's a will there's a way so I just think that's the threat part that that's why the seesaw is kind of you know falling down in terms of threat and then our our ability to cope has reduced with time and but i don't like people why has that that reduced with time i think we over we do to an extent over protect kids i think you know this idea of like play is the opposite of anxiety and i have a whole chapter in my book on play and it's really important to let children be able to be children and not to kind of be watching their every move like you know we my husband and I had to make a big decision last summer would we let our kids five and seven go out and play um around the corner from us with other kids of you know all different ages and how you know by themselves and how would we feel about that luckily we live in a safe enough estate where there's not many there wouldn't be many roads to cross our or things like that but we decided that that was the right thing for them because they can come back to us when they need us but the negotiation that goes on outside is incredible like they're building a they're building a hotel out of this little forest that's there and they're negotiating and there's my five-year-old is a gangster and my seven-year-old is a goodie and they're literally recreating life in the in the park at you know literally you know around the corner from us and they're learning you know that sometimes kids can be mean sometimes you know my daughter got a new bike and she got let another girl play with it yesterday and she broke a part of it so you learn these things and and I know that's not an option for every parent but I think and I'm not blaming parents at all but I've read a really good article and if you just want to do one if you just want to kind of take one take home from this is let your child do one thing today that you didn't let them do yesterday and that'll already be going on a good path so that's that's the empowerment you're talking about in your book and yeah. you're safe yeah empowering the kids to because they're, yeah. they're very resilient they're very yeah. they're very smart they're very bright and they just need to be yeah. in the right environment yeah it is it's it's um so obviously they're the biggest challenges um, but we do have opportunities there like i mean i, I always think that the social media and all of that in a way is very challenging 
but anyway, it was very, it was a great opportunity there to to share that mm-hmm. that oh, empowerment. To the, you know, if we can all work towards a, a common goal of look, the world hasn't changed that much. Mm. There was always some weird person around the corner somewhere, and I don't think it's it's got any worse. But we we, we are overly protective, I think. Yeah, and I, I think it's all about balance. You know, I mean, I do see teens in here who do end up it seems living a lot of their lives on social media and then you've you know they're they're maybe talking to people online that they don't know i mean i think the same things still apply like if you're like i i heard a psychiatrist talk last year and it was really interesting he said that we over parent under 10 year olds and we under parent over 10 year olds so i thought that was really interesting because i think teens of course they're going to tell us f off and leave me alone and you're so uncool and you know you know all about it your your father of teens but at the same time they're still kids and they still that f off probably you know means like it still means organize my feelings for me yeah. help me they are going through such a massive period of of um brain development and their hormones are raging and there's so many pressures and it's really hard being a teen but they still need that connection they still need that that love and that direction and you know that kind of interest in what are they doing online and i know that might mean of course they don't want their parents to know everything but i i think that and i haven't parented a teenager yet so ask me in 10 years but um, i still think we like as parents we still need to be kind of mindful of of what they're at, but it's all about balance. Yeah, it's the anchor you're talking yeah. about, knowing that you're there. Yeah. Man in the Mirror, Michael Jackson. Oh my God. Great song, mm. unfortunately, about all this stuff going on with mm. Michael Jackson, but sure, great song, still all the same. Yeah, I suppose that the, there's a story behind that. I, um, in 1988, I went to the Michael Jackson concert in, it was in Cork at the time, and I was always a huge fan. Um, and, uh, in 1989, I was living in LA with my parents and my siblings, and my mother arrived to school on the Friday and said, would you like to go to Michael Jackson's house on Monday? And to Neverland, because uh, my dad worked as a Dutch diplomat, and he, um, they, he Michael Jackson was being prevented with, presented with a video music award, and it was a Dutch agency organizing it, and they needed kids of a certain age, and different nationalities to present him with the award. So I fit the age bracket. I was on the upper limit. I was 14, 13 or 14. And so the Monday, myself and five other kids in a bus took the two hours to Neverland, got interviewed on the way there, arrived there, went to his games room, got shown around. And then, like, you know, we went into the library. We hadn't met him yet. And then we heard these footsteps and then it wasn't him and then we heard them and more footsteps and there he was and it was just it was like there's meeting your idol right there and it was just an incredible day because after that after filming whatever and I still have the the footage of that film the filming thing it's cringeworthy but it's there <laughs> it's called the children of the world award um so yeah we met his his monkeys he brought us in a golf cart around Neverland and yeah. it was incredible and he, he literally he played with us and I know that so I always had this kind of really um, kind of like really positive view of him so when all these allegations came out 10 years ago 15 whatever amount 
I was thinking it's that's just people trying to take advantage and all that. And I really was very firm on that because, and I was quite like, I just think his music is amazing. Like off the wall, thriller, you know, um, bad. Like it's incredible. And and even he did, my daughter, um, just behind you there is a poster, The Wiz. He, my daughter performed in a musical there last summer and a lot of that was Motown music and he was in that original film and it is incredible, the film as well, or the music. So so when I heard that this program was on, this documentary, like a few weeks ago, I was thinking, oh, here we go again. You know, you know, like he's, it's not going to be like, you know, I'm not going to believe this and things like that. And I remember then like being interviewed on Kira Kelly's news talk a few weeks ago. I hadn't watched the documentaries and I just said like that I was really kind of, I just described what he was like because I suppose you don't really meet many people in the world who've met Michael Jackson. So, or in Ireland anyway. So I described and she kept saying, well, what do you think? Has he done it? Or, you know, and I was like, look, I don't know. My heart goes out to anybody who's been sexually abused. I work with people who've been sexually abused. It's horrific. It's the worst thing you could do to a child and it affects them so much. Um, but then I watched the, so I was kind of like, no, no, it can't be. And then I watched the documentaries and I just thought, I found it hard to not believe them. But it really, it, it conflicted me in such a big way because it just made me think, like, how can I, like, you know, I, I just felt like, you know, I, I don't know, I can't, don't even have the words, but I just felt like just really let down. If that's true, which it really seems to be true, I feel terrible because I just feel like he was this amazing person who yeah, did so much. And you carried that with you for a number of years. And, but look at that beautiful song, Man in the Mirror, and yeah. it'll still be always one of my favorite songs because it's all about take a look at yourself and make that change. And I just thought, how could somebody write those lyrics and do that? So I'm really conflicted. I'm gonna make a change for once in my life. It's gonna feel real good. Gonna make a difference, gonna make it right As I turn up the collarbone, my favorite winter coat This wind is blowing my mind I see the kids in the street, but not enough to eat Who am I to be blind? You mentioned Lost for Life and you've done quite a lot of work from the very beginning with Bracey and all the other people that worked there. Um, I had the pleasure to meet Paula and I've been meeting with Kira very oh, yeah. soon. So it's, it's just a great organization. But what I'd like to know, what's Lost for Life for you? As in, is Lost for Life replacing something that we had before? Like, Because it's a great... For people who don't know, they do a great, great work for mental health, and there's, there's a lot of, if I'm correct, there's a lot of its uh, users uh, produced. There's people yeah. writing in articles, yeah. and but why, why the need for Lust for Life, and why they're doing really well at what they're doing, if you know what I mean? Um, I suppose I've been with them from the very beginning, um, less so in the last year since I've been writing my book, but I'm still involved, you know. Um, I'm on their mental health advisory panel, but um, why is there a need for them? I think people who have issues going on in their lives want to share that, and it's a brilliant platform for sharing 
common stories. I think their personal stories get more reads than even the 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 professionals writing their writing articles. So it's the personal stories that people really connect with. It's our common humanity, and I think that's what they they do. And very much at the beginning of a lust for life, because of I suppose Brezzi's involvement with sports and all of that, and and. Um, there was more of a kind of emphasis back then on sporting events and um, getting people to, to run together and, and do that kind of thing. I think then I was with them when they won the Social Entrepreneurs Ireland and I was honoured to be their first follower, which sounds like I'm a stalker. <laughs> um, but it's basically SEI tell you you have to choose one person that has most supported you. So... Um, at the time, the editor was Susan Quirk, and I just, she had such, um, she has such a deep soul. She's a beautiful person, and um, I, I, I just, I connected with her so well, and with Brezzy, and the, the people that were there, and I, I, I um, so, like, so I suppose there, once they had won that, they had to kind of transform into a different type of organization that had a board and you know what became a charity so they had to decide what they were going to focus on but um i think what it like from being like from sitting in meetings with the lust for life it is so different to my experience of being like in a public sector okay you're sitting in a meeting with people that are incredibly creative and passionate and human and um, like I sat on the electric picnic panels uh, two years in a row and it's just, I think they're just all like, they really just want to try hard and do the best that they can. And I suppose they have to make the money or try to get the funding to make these programs run through, but they've got really creative people that help to kind of drive that. Mm. So, I mean, I thought that whole little book of sound and the, the, the you launched that at the electric picnic. That yeah, was there we, that time. Yeah. Oh really? I was there. I was in the in the tent, but yeah, it was great. Oh cool. Yeah. Um. And it was the God, sound effect. We had a day where we like, you know, the whole like we were talking all about like everybody had to share something sound that they had done for themselves or other or other people. And I, for me, I'm really interested in volunteerism and that idea of, and I definitely will be going further into it, and I work a bit with Volunteer Galway as well, this idea of if you volunteer, if you do things for other people um, for free, you actually live longer and you your health is better. It's And it's incredible. And like one of the most kind of, um, like I remember watching a program a few years ago on this lady in Cork who has been running this soup kitchen for homeless people for the last 30 years or something like that. She's probably one of the happiest, more, most fulfilled people you could meet or see. And I think if we just go back to the basics of life, which is helping other people out, like, you know, and because that is that the, the greatest gift you can you can have is to see a smile on somebody else's face and to help them out. Um, so and I, and I know we're all human and we all bitch and we all have problems and we all you know that that's normal but um, I just yeah so that's I mean I, I can't really comment much on a lust for life in the last year because I kind of I, I needed when I wrote my book to just I couldn't be attending monthly meetings and all of that but I'm still involved and I know that they're they have plans for this school educational um the school well being program which I've been involved with doing some of the script for that. So 
Um, I think what they're doing is great. I oh, really no, do. absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Um, okay, that's great. The heroes, that's very fitting heroes of ghosts mm. by the Coronas. Mm. That's, uh, uh, why do I like that? I was kind of reading the lyrics there. You know, sometimes, <laughs> like, I'm the type of person who l loves a song, but I love the tune, but not unless I wouldn't know any of the words. In fact, mm. I'm terrible at mm. words. So, and I'm notorious for getting them terribly wrong. So I suppose for me, that's a song that my husband and I, anytime the Coronas are in Galway in the big top, we go, it's always the same concert, the same songs, the same everything. And we just love it. The tune is gorgeous. I think it, for me, it describes like the ups and downs of a relationship. And I think that's what marriage is. I've been with my husband for 21 years. So it's the ups, it's the lows, it's the, it, but it's the kind of that mutual respect and um, yeah, and that song, um, if you hear it in Irish, if you haven't heard it yet, it's even more beautiful than the English version. Sound really interesting in a way because you moved around a lot and uh, but um, and you did mention that the, you know you were kind of taking over the the care position within the, the family. What uh, you also mentioned you, you were an anxious child. Mm. Why were you anxious and how did you know you were anxious? Yeah. Did you, did you re or uh, why was I anxious? Oh, there was probably many uh, many reasons. I suppose. Um, I was probably, I, like they say anxiety is 30% temperament. So I think I was born with an anxious temperament. And I think once the temperament meets an environment that's a bit anxiety provoking, and I think that environment was, you know, probably moving around quite a bit, being aware maybe that all was not well in my parents' relationship, perhaps I was aware, I was deeply aware. And also if you have an anxious temperament, you have a very sensitive temperament. So I can kind of really feel, I can really feel, you know, I, I can, I, I could just feel that things weren't right, you know, um, and I, 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 I carried a lot of the world on my shoulders. In fact, I still do. And so I find it really hard to say no to things. I find it that I generally say yes. And then I go, shit, how am I actually going to do that? Do you know? So it's been, it's been a real learning curve to say no. Um, but so, I mean, I can't tell you exactly what I, why I was anxious, but I know that it, it kind of, it, it turned into then, um, like my brother and sister, like my sister had uh, problems with an eating disorder and I did then as well. I had met a girl when I was about 13 or 14 and she was losing weight and I was a bit pudgy. So I decided I was going to do the same thing. and. I also am quite perfectionistic, so I think if you have that perfectionistic, you know, for me it was like, I'm going to be the best at everything, including losing weight. And that's what I did, you know what I mean? Um, so it's like, and I was unhappy, we lived actually, and I, it's nothing against Milan, okay? But we moved from LA to Milan when I was about 14. 
and I just didn't fit in there. I didn't fit in. I don't know why. I, we went to I went to French school first. That was really really like from eight to five every day, and we had to get a metro in and a metro back and. And it was like, I mean, I've been to other parts of Italy that I absolutely kind of connected to most, but I just, I don't know what it was. It just made, maybe it was the place, the, my, my family at the time. Um, but I just, that's when I just started to kind of lose weight. And, and then about two years later, we moved to Korea and I thought, oh God, I'm going to hate this. You know, we're moving to somewhere that I, you know, this feels completely out of where I should, um, you know, of my comfort zone. But in fact, it was the best thing for me because I just met some really amazing people and it was a really good move. So, yeah. yeah. yeah so you mentioned your friend and the studio friend. Yeah. And you still, uh, no, well, that wasn't the friend that oh, I had lost okay. weight with. No, okay. no, no. Yeah. No, no, I meant it with Korea. That you, yeah. you met somebody. Exactly. And, uh, and no, yeah, I was exactly. thinking while you were telling me this, I was thinking about your kids now building their their relationship and their their friendships yeah. while they're building mm. the castle or the hotel whatever they're doing in the forest mm. in, the, in the backyard and obviously that was something that, you know with you moving all the time mm. that relationship kept disappearing off you completely and completely that, yeah mm. so it yeah that was really hard um i remember i said to my husband the other day like in holland i used to play outside and have fun like that but the second we moved to la there was none of that or milan Korea probably I just became a teenager and I just met people and connected with people that I really but I've always been one of these people that has a few friends and doesn't have a million friends I just I only need a few people in my life and I'm they, they mightn't always be the same people at a certain time but you know when that connection is there it's there and I don't have to that friend Caroline she's my daughter's godmother and I don't have to see her for two years it doesn't matter and friends, yeah. we're just you know she's there's not many people I'd rather spend time with. You know yeah. what I mean? And do you feel Irish, or what? Do you, what do you oh. feel? Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, people think that I'm Irish now, but when I lived in, because I moved to Ireland when I was 18, and initially everyone thought I was American because I had the American accent from living in LA, and it just kind of came back from being in Korea in an American school, so our international school, but. Yeah, I suppose I feel like I always say to my kids, you know, you're three quarters Irish and you're one quarter Dutch. I, d I don't really identify that much with being Dutch, but like because I don't speak Dutch anymore. I used to, but um, my father is very much 100% Dutch and it's a beautiful place. And I really want to introduce my kids to, to there and to France where I lived and the different places I've been to. So then you have this gorgeous song by Sia. Yeah. Uh, breathe, breathe me. Yeah, actually, like when I was doing my um, Dublin City FM, I did a show called Mental Health Laid Bare, and uh, you know, with the show you do, you have an your intro song, your signature song, and I was gonna have that one because I just think like instrumentally, it's just a beautiful song, and my husband was like, oh my god, that's so depressing, Mally. Like, you know, your your show is called Mental Health Laid Bare. You've got a song that would make you want to like you know, this is not good. So I didn't, I went for like an Edel song in the end um, to, to introduce the, 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 but again, this song just for me, it's about being in a really hard, having a really hard time and just your friends being there are people that you love to warm you up and to breathe you, to literally breathe you and to, to feel how you're feeling. Help, I have done.
Curious because you mentioned yourself in this room, we're in your studio in, in your office, as you yeah. say. That's where people come and bring their kids for you to help them out of whatever illness or mental issues they might have. But now you're a mother and you're dealing with that face to face every day with a five and a seven year old. Do you apply everything that you that you mm. tell your your patients mm. here? Mm. And if so, is that working for you? Um, I think one of the things that most kind of inspired me that I did um, like in the last kind of year was I went on this training called Circle of Security and it's basically like I'm all about attachment theory and I'm really into like infant mental health which is that idea that's a poster say building a happy baby all about helping parents to realize the importance of the first few years in your child's brain being developed and the importance of, of having that secure attachment. So this circle of security training that I went on last year was so that I could actually run this course for people in the clinic. But I remember on the first day that I went there for the training, it was five, four, four days in Dublin, and the woman said, you think you're here on a course to learn how to be a good psychologist or social worker or whatever, but this is actually a course in how to be a human being. And she was totally right because I suppose I felt like, you know, I have two kids. They're very different. You know, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to talk too openly in case they happen to hear this in years to come, but they're very different temperament wise. And, you know, I suppose every child can present a different type of challenge. And sometimes it can be that your personalities clash or it can be at a particular time in your life that they're born. That's a little bit harder for you or whatever, you know, but I, I kind of, I suppose I felt like when I came to the course, it's like a parent group. It's like where you run, a, they're teaching us how to run this parent group based on circle of security. So I, um, I kind of felt like there were times where I didn't respond in a way that was kind of the way that I would preach in here and that, you know, I would, I didn't realize there's this term called shark music, which is pretty incredible. It's like when your child presents you with a need or they're kind of, you know, asking you for something or they're crying or they're angry or they're showing you a feeling, a, a parent will react in a particular way. But they, they show us this video of imagine yourself going down a path and if you're going towards a beach and you've got beautiful music playing in the background and you're going down the path. And then, you know, you ask a parent, how are you feeling watching that? And they're like, oh, I feel really good. Or I feel relaxed or whatever. They show the same exact clip with da -na 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 -na, with like shark music playing in the background. And how do you feel watching that? Watching that? And parents say, well, I feel really scared. I don't know what's around the path, blah, blah, blah. So it was kind of, kind of just shows parents this idea of shark music that every time your child presents you with some type of a need or um, are they you know they're upset or they're angry or they're whatever 
this shark music will play and it's basically this kind of like unconscious memory we have for the way our feelings were dealt with as children. So whatever way anger was met by say your mother or your dad, you will have this unconscious memory because your amygdala and and your hippocampus, which is the memory part and the emotional part, are so closely connected that you will react to your your child the way one of your parents reacted to you because that was, unless you have awareness of it and you change it, but that is what's going to happen. So there are certain needs my kids present me with that I'm, I hear this shark music and I feel, it, it's not even you hear it, you feel it. You feel it in your body where it's kind of like, like say for example, when my kids sometimes tell me I'm feeling sick, I find it really hard unless they're actually like puking or whatever to actually take that seriously. And I know that comes from somewhere. And I know that could be generation after generation after generation of that feeling not being heard. So like I just, for me going on that training, ever since I came back, I've been a lot more like, been able to kind of take the differences that my kids have and actually work with them rather than trying to fit them into a mold. So say my youngest wants to stay up a bit later and she feels like, you know, I'm t- paying more attention to the other one. Rather than say to her, go back to bed, you you know, I invite her to come in, sit down with the eldest one. It'll only take a few more minutes. But, you know, you know, Amy, the youngest one, will you come and help me because Jess is feeling a little bit sad over this. So will you come and help me and we'll talk to her about the situation in school rather than, Amy, I'm talking to Jess, go back to bed now. You know this, and that would be my shark music playing like, you do what I tell you to do, you know? Whereas if I just kind of let that go a little bit and I invite her in knowing, okay, it'll take an extra two minutes, but my kids will go to bed happier, but also feeling more compassionate. This is a this is a moment for me to teach compassion rather than be this disciplinarian. And that also doesn't always work, but ever since I did that, and I'm not saying, oh yeah, go and like, go and do the circle of security although I do think it's wonderful but that is the that it has actually transformed my parenting in the last nine ten months because as a parent uh, I'm never sure whether I'm doing the right thing and I I know I I should be probably a little more more relaxed Mm. but it's great to hear that uh, you're able to apply what you what you learn because I know it's a different story between here the next person coming in here and your daughter coming back from school with something that's completely different. Yeah. But it shouldn't be. But it's great to hear that. Um, just like heaven. Yeah. The cure. Again, this goes back to, I love the cure. I just, oh my God. I love, like I, if I, I, I would have said the song Disintegration, which is like a much longer song, but I just think it is just the best song as well. But just like heaven is shorter. I thought like Disintegration might be a bit long and a bit depressing. But just like heaven is just, for me, it's, it reminds me of my, my brother, my sister, who also loved the cure of Caroline, my friend from, who lives in Spain, who's French. It's just one of those songs that we played when we were 18 and we were in a nightclub in Korea in Seoul, having the best time of our lives. And it's just such an uplifting, amazing song.
finish it off, uh, you mentioned in your book uh, SAFE, the acronym SAFE, and the very first one is self-care. Yeah. What, what do you do for self-care? Because you have a busy life, and you know, from podcasting, writing, broadcasting, work, yeah. uh, kids, and what do you do oh, for self-care? Do I, do? I go running when I feel like I'm going to explode. So I don't go for long runs. Like what, Sometimes I just go 15 minutes around where I live. That's enough. I'm, I just get my energy out. I love swimming. I absolutely like. I I'm a Pisces, so that it's kind of something I rediscovered last year. And I bring my kids swimming every week, but I like going on my own when I can. And I just love swimming underwater. I don't know what it is about it. Um, I love watching crap telly, really crap. Like say yes to the dress on repeat. My husband is like, this is so rubbish. <laughs> But like, I just watch, I love watching crap telly. I love, I love meeting with my really close friends. And, you know, go, I, like I'm big into like, like tomorrow night I'm going to menopause, which is a musical. So I think that's one thing that I, is yet unexplored for me that I'm, I'm threatening to my husband that I'm going to be in the background or the chorus for a musical next year because my daughter is big into it, my seven-year-old, my five-year-old is starting to as well. And I think that's just one thing that I never explored properly, um, you know, and it's something that I think I, I love being in theatres and soaking in, like, creativity, what people can do creatively. Brilliant. And, um, and just... For anybody listening, that it, when you meet people, they do a lot. Like I interviewed a wonderful lady a couple of weeks ago, Susan Steele. She's she's millions of things every day. You know, she's, yeah. But how do you prioritize your day? How do you structure your day so that you can actually get it all done and make sure you don't leave anything behind? I mean, it's is it. Oh, well, this was work has to come. You know, yeah. if I have to be here for appointments, then I'm here. You know, for work. Um, kids have to come when you have kids like like say at the weekend I get nothing done hardly do you know what I mean apart from I mean I am getting something done which is my children and it's not even done it's a lot I want to spend quality time with them and enjoy the weekend with them um, I don't know I think I'm just quite organized in my head I think sometimes the I wonder what the heck did I do before I had kids and why was I complaining about anything and why didn't I write a book back then but then I probably wouldn't have had any good material for it so I, I don't know I just think I'm organized or something like that and but I'm not majorly I don't think I'm too hard on myself you're not going to get everything you want done in a day and um, just get you have to get just the main things done and you know there's always tomorrow as Homer Simpson says <laughs> <laughs> no I think as you said it's right you know you don't have to be perfect you know 30% yeah. you do to start with you know and it's a, it's a great great philosophy to be by and I always ask everybody for a couple of words of wisdom be yourself because there's nobody else like you I suppose you yeah. know that every person is a hu unique human being yeah. and is valuable and you know is just means something you know what i mean and can make an impact on one person or other people that we're all we're all in this mess in this beautiful mess together so let's be messy together very good i'm gonna leave it with uh, dr dre still dre <laughs> i didn't know this one yet now why'd you pick that one <laughs> okay do not look at the lyrics of this because it's all bad language I was, i've printed them off and gone uh, okay where am i going to get meaning from that there is no meaning i just think it's the I love, that's a different side to me. I absolutely love rap. 
and like that if you just hear that tune you can't help but I think be like I don't know it just kind of it just gets me going I like it well Molly thanks a minute for your time I really appreciate it thank you Andrea still Snoop Dogg and D.I. D.I. guess who's back Steve If you got this far in the podcast, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share and leave a review on iTunes. It's much appreciated.